The Holy Land is a place of juxtaposition, of layering. It's a mingling of ideas and states and realities. You see it in a million different ways here. The most prominent may be the mosques, synagogues, and churches all lined up beside each other. You see it looking from the Mount of Olives over the old city of Jerusalem, where the Dome of the Rock and the Church of the Holy Sepulchre give way to modern skyscrapers in the distance. It's a little odd, quite honestly, to see the modern and the sacred so close, but only at first. And I guess there are a lot of uncomfortable neighbors here. Sometimes you find a juxtaposition of noise and quiet, of bustle and calm. At the Church of the Nativity in Bethlehem, crowds press to fit through the narrow door leading to the shrine of Jesus' birth. They squeeze through a tiny opening, just wide enough for one person at a time, and they go down a few steps into a cave and wait for their turn to kiss a star marking the site where Christ entered the world. The din is anything but peaceful. No silent nights here. But if you press on, there are other caves in the same location. A few are under the Church of St. Catherine next door, maybe a few hundred feet from the Nativity. At least one interpretation of the Gospel story is that the Holy Family moved here to deliver the Christ child, because, as the story goes, there was no room for them to deliver a child where they were. And it was here, in that second cave, where Notre Dame students on a summer study program stopped to reflect. And then they did something totally appropriate. One, two, and Silent night, holy night, all is calm, all is bright, around young virgin mother and child, holy infant souls Listening to Notre Dame Stories Tantour, Hill in the Holy Land. Bethlehem, West Bank. Here is where the summer study session begins. It's a three-week course designed to immerse students in the sacred, but also the complex aspects of the Holy Land. 
We follow two of those students to get their reaction in real time to what they experienced on part of the trip. Then we caught up with them back on campus after they had time to reflect. And a production note about some of the material we captured on site. It took a while to figure out my recorder, so some of the stuff is a little hard to hear. We'll post transcripts of these episodes online. So we just left uh, Tantor, which is where we're staying. Um, and now we're walking from there to Bethlehem, and we'll be participating in a religious service there. Um, on our way, we've been walking along this barrier. Uh, they call it the security border. Um, and it's a large structure with a lot of graffiti and images on it that are emotional, poignant. Amelia McManus is a senior from New Jersey. And whether she knew it at the time or not, she really kind of summed up life here walking along a border wall to get to Mass. This sort of layering between faith and conflict is evident everywhere in the Holy Land. The wall is the first thing you notice looking into Bethlehem from Tantur. It's a tall, gray, concrete structure built about 15 years ago that snakes along the border at the Bethlehem city limits. It funnels commuters through a checkpoint that resembles security at an American airport. Scanners, conveyor belts, x-rays. But here, there is also the presence of a few armed guards. The experience of walking along this wall wasn't totally unexpected. Students are briefed about this sort of thing before they go. But still, it's striking. It's a reminder that in the holiest place in the world, conflict is the constant undercurrent. But after clearing the checkpoint and seeing the statements on the wall... The students headed to Mass. Talk about juxtaposition. So that uh, that Mass, what was that? What was that like? Experienced anything like that before? No, super fascinating. In some ways, it felt really similar to Mass at home, just in terms of the community and the sort of casual, friendly nature of it, but a lot of, obviously, Arabic is the major difference, um, but... That's Annalisa Pines, the other student we followed. She's a junior from California, and for her, the trip is a chance to connect two branches of her family tree. Her father is Jewish, her mom, Catholic looking forward to this all summer, so I was just really curious about what it would feel like when I got here, and honestly, it still feels mythical, like it doesn't even feel real that I'm here, and, you know, actually being in Bethlehem, like, it, that doesn't even feel like a real place to me, um, but it's, it's beautiful and been really fun. After the tour of the Church of the Nativity and the singing in the cave, the students walked through Bethlehem's old district. You get the sense it's laid out, pretty much like it was when Mary and Joseph were here. And then a stop for some ice cream, and a few words from Kamal, their Palestinian tour guide. And apologies, we got as close as we could, but some of this is a little hard to hear. Life in Palestine, right? Tell you a little bit about the people. Because it's not about the stones, and I, I like people coming and wanting to visit the place where Jesus was born. You go to the Holy Sepulchre Church, where he was buried, you're gonna see thousands of people standing in line. Totally fine, it's an important story. But I feel that some people standing there with the hope they're gonna meet Jesus at the end. And guess what? If you meet him at the end, 
there's a big problem. He's not in his tomb. He's risen, right? So if you really want to find Jesus, you'll find him with the people and not in the stones. There's people also having their trip as on the footsteps of Jesus Christ, going from one stone to the other looking for Jesus, and they don't find him. You're not going to find him where the stones are, not even in the place where he was born. You find him in a refugee camp, you find him in an organization helping children, women, you find him in, on the street, school, you find him with the people, right? So it's all about people. You solve the problem of people, you solve the problem in the Holy Spirit. All right, so you're in Bethlehem, you're in a Palestinian city, and today you visited Palestine technically. And I hope you enjoyed it. It's, yeah. uh, I hope the people were nice to you. Everybody's laughing on the We went into a mosque. How, how cool is that, right? Uh, Bethlehem is a diverse city. Bethlehem was interesting. I think we saw two narratives. I think we started off the day in a very deeply religious mindset where we saw the birth of Jesus. And as a Catholic, those are some of the most important places that you can go to and feel as close as you can to God and to your faith. And then we were reminded later in the day that we, as we emerged out of the church, and as we spoke with our tour guide, who was a Palestinian, that there are people that still live here. And so while the area is deep in, in history, deep in legacy, deep in tradition, um, still strife with some political struggles. Um, so it's fascinating. I think there was also one thing that I was reflecting on in terms of the privilege that we had as, as Christians being there and the freedom to move wherever we wanted, um, to visit the sites that are like the holiest to our faith. It's, it's amazing. And I, I feel really lucky, and it's a stark reality for some people that do live here and don't have access to, to their sites that, that are viewed as the holiest in their religion. At that time, Amelia was specifically referring to Rachel's tomb, which is a five-minute walk down the hill from Tantur. The point Amelia is making is, virtually anyone can visit Rachel's tomb, except Palestinians. The border wall is constructed on three sides of the tomb so that Israelis can visit. That would be a dynamic the students would encounter more than once. There's no place like the old city of Jerusalem. The day after the Bethlehem visit, the students came here. 40,000 people living in a square mile, home to holy sites of the three major world religions. The shops line the narrow streets with merchants offering things from pottery to scarves and jewelry, and food like falafel and coffee and spices. Yes, I managed to sample all three. It's easy to get lost and found again here. With few exceptions, the streets are winding, they take you places you didn't intend to go, and cause you to experience things that perhaps you didn't think you'd experience. You're in the world here, with all its glory and with all its tension. On this day, the students were exploring the Jewish quarter, including the holiest site in Judaism, the Western Wall. It was actually more of a retaining wall for the second temple, not part of the actual structure on the Temple Mount. Today, the Temple Mount is controlled by Muslims, 
It houses the Al-Aqsa Mosque and the Dome of the Rock, that shiny gold dome you see in most pictures of Jerusalem. The two sites are remarkably close. On another visit to the wall during our trip, we were struck by the earnestness of the Jews who came to pray, while the Muslim call to prayer blared over the top from Al-Aqsa. So loud it was hard to hear yourself speak, much less pray. Again, juxtaposition. On our visit with the students, we found a mood both spiritual and celebratory. Afterward, we caught up with Annalisa. We just left the Western Wall. It's the most special and holy place that a Jew can pray. And I've heard lots about it all throughout my life. It's the last remnant of the Second Temple, and it means so much in the Jewish community. And so my dad went on about it before I left, and he he actually started crying and told me it would be really meaningful if I could um, put a prayer for our family mm. in it and and say a prayer and pray there for some time. Um, and so that's what I just did, and it was a really, really special experience. I got choked up there. Um, and so you call dead tonight? I think so. He'll for sure start crying. <laughs> but yeah, I just sent them a picture. was a visit to the Holy Sepulchre. Despite the sometimes contentious nature of the site that we mentioned at the top of episode one, this is usually a place of fervent prayer and demonstrated devotion. As you enter, steps to the right lead up to the top of Golgotha, where Jesus was crucified. A group was saying mass there during our visit. Back down at ground level and about 140 feet away, there's the edicule, the place where Jesus was buried. Amelia struck up a conversation with one of the monks keeping vigil. but differing ways of honoring the traditions of, of where Jesus was buried. And so we saw on the back end of where his tomb is a location of a stone. And that stone is on the other end of the tomb where Jesus' head was buried, where Jesus' head was laid. And so they honor that location of where his head was placed as, as a holy site, somewhere where they, where they revere. And there's a whole shrine dedicated to that spot. Hmm. So before you came, you said you wanted to see religions living in peace. And I think you meant like Jews, Christians, and Muslims. For sure. But here to see that there's so much separation within the Christian community, I mean, what uh, what do you make of that? It's fascinating. I, I didn't expect that at all by any means. Um, I think you're right. I did anticipate there'd be more. I was hoping for 
anticipating more conflict or hoping for more peace among the three major Abrahamic faiths. Um, but to see someone of divisions or at least different interpretations of the way that Jesus was crucified, the way that he was born, we saw that yesterday too at the Nativity. Um, it's interesting. Hmm. And it uh, helps you reflect more on your own faith, for sure. Yeah. And to be sure, the chance to reflect on faith is an important part of the experience for students here. But it's only a part. The job of balancing what it is students see and experience here falls to Hannah Hemphill, the Jerusalem Global Gateway's academic director. It's, it's always, to me, a matter of remembering that there is such a uh, plethora of narratives and so much diversity to those narratives that I have to continually uh, look again at the itinerary, look at the voices that are here and, and strike some sort of um, just breadth of exposure. Now, I think honestly Notre, Notre Dame through uh, its history at Tantor has um, a depth of connections that when I came into the job, I built on that, and then I built on other connections that I had through having formerly been a graduate student at Hebrew University, and so just pulling those together and uh, through them meeting further people who care about the same thing. So Hannah, our professor, actually has this great quote where she says, a lot of people will come to the Holy Land on a holy pilgrimage, expecting to see all the most important sites. And that's among all different traditions. But then they fail to see the living stones. So they see the old stones, but not the real ones, the living ones. And so that really stuck out to me um, because there are, there's more going on here than, than just the religious significance. So there are people that are living through the tradition now, people that are living through the strife, the instability, that are experiencing and cultivating the land in their own ways in the modern era, and their stories are often being ignored. Um, so we visited Hebron, which was uh, a tricky but necessary site. Uh, Hebron, we actually had a Palestinian Torah guide that brought us around, and he provided a um, alternative story to what he felt like was the relationship between Palestine and Israel. As outsiders, we're not even from this land. We're coming from the United States as Americans, most of us, and we could travel wherever we wanted. We had access to any space that we wanted. And he was a Palestinian tour guide and he was actually restricted in places that we could go. So he would stop at certain checkpoints and say, you guys proceed, head down the street, explore, look around, here are things to look out for, but I have to wait here. And so that was a very stark privilege uh, experience for me because, like I said, I'm not even from that land and I had freedom to travel wherever I wanted. And someone who's actually from there was restricted in where he could or could not go in his own city. Um, and it's hard to interpret. It's very hard to interpret. Super intense. Um we were not really prepared for it. All I knew is that it was a, a Muslim city that had a lot of historical significance in Islam, but did not know much more. Um, and we knew there was a settlement there, but I didn't really know what that meant or what that would look like. Um, and that was probably the most intense day of the trip. We got a tour from this guy named Abdallah, who he's been arrested many times and because he's an outspoken pro-Palestinian advocate. Um, and just walking through the streets, they're all covered by netting, like, because the settlers will often throw things at the Palestinians. And 
um, they'll pee through the netting on them. And just, you hear about the horrible things that, you know, the settlers do to Palestinians, but seeing that and seeing the trash that the settlers had thrown on the Palestinians was really eye-opening. So that was tense, that was tense. Um, but there were moments too of peace and, and, and optimism. So for example, we did a dual narrative tour, which was a really lucky opportunity, where we had one Palestinian tour guide and one as Israeli tour guide, and we visited around all these different sites and each got to share their own, their own story. And at the same time, they fought a little bit, they pushed each other because, you know, that's, that's expected. Um, but that to me was a symbol of, okay, we can coexist. We can overcome these institutionalized barriers that often try and separate us. And so that was a great moment. On some happier notes, some highlights that I really liked, we ate dinner at the Ida refugee camp in Bethlehem. So we were split up into different families who lived there. Um, our family is originally from Gaza, and that was so much fun. They were just such a joyous family. It's like 30 of them all in one family living in this one big house, and we had a great meal there and just talked to them, sometimes about lighthearted things, um, like what they learn in school and their different professions, but also just hearing some of their stories and what it's like living next to the to the border wall. Um, we did face masks with them, it was really fun. Um, and then on the other side, we got to eat dinner with Jewish families, we got to spend Shabbat with them. Um, and a similar thing where I thought I, you know, I knew all about Shabbat, I celebrate Shabbat, but it was not like my Shabbat, there were a lot of prayers I didn't know. Um, this is unusual, but my host was actually vegan, so vegan Shabbat. Um, so, just eating dinner with both of those families was a really cool insight into the different cultures that you're not necessarily seeing just when you're getting tours and hearing the history. I mean, I've been privileged a lot in my life to have traveled a decent amount through Notre Dame, um, through my family, through my own ways, but I've never visited somewhere that really did capture my heart, that really felt like I, I felt a connection to need to come back. Because you know, sometimes you travel places and you're like, I would love to go back, I would love to come back. But this was different. I felt like almost in a way that I needed to come back, that there was some kind of calling to come back. And I don't know in what place or space that may be. Um, and whether that's just to learn more, whether that's to be somewhat of an activist, I don't know. I'm still discerning that. But I'm still looking forward to it. It's a very special place. At the Church of St. Catherine in Bethlehem, next to the cave where the students sang Silent Night, there's a neighboring cave, the study of St. Jerome. He's most famous for translating the Bible into Latin from that cave, and he had this to say about studying scripture. Five Gospels recount the life of Jesus, four are contained in books, and the fifth is contained in the land they call holy. Read the fifth Gospel and the world of the other four will open up to you. That's true of the pilgrimage sites, but maybe it's also true in what Kamal and Hannah Hemphill said. Religious meaning isn't just about what happened in the past, 
It's about what's happening now. Finding ways to engage with people, hearing their stories, developing empathy, and yes, figuring out ways to use knowledge for good, to bridge gaps, to stand for justice. Perhaps that's as central to the gospel message as anything. And for these students, it opened up to them in the land they call holy. Next time on the final episode of Tantur, Hill in the Holy Land. That image of, of an oasis, I think that that is pretty accurate. I think the word that people say often describe Tantur is it's an oasis. So they can experience Jerusalem, they can experience Bethlehem, but at the end of the day, they can always come back to this place, to this oasis, let's call it. We use a common descriptor to look at Tantur in a new light. And we bid farewell to the hill in the Holy Land. People come to this place and leave feeling as if they've been changed. 